This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of August 3rd, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 237 of Defender Radio. The world has been talking about the tragic death of a big cat in Africa this week. But did you know there are many other species of big cats? And some of them, right here at home, are in need of our help. At the front lines of protecting these fur bears is Panthera, the global wildcat conservation organization that specializes in research, habitat conservation, and policies to protect the big cats of the world. As part of their work, they've launched a new interactive website, cougarchannel.org, which they hope will bring people closer to legendary cats of North America. We were recently joined by Dr. Mark Elbrock, Director of Science for Puma and Jaguar programs at Panthera, to talk about the new Cougar Channel project, the latest research on big cats and their role in ecosystems, and why we need to protect our native cat species. Let's start out... um could you explain a bit about what Panthera does, what the organization is all about, before we get into the rest of what we're talking about today? Sure. Um, so Panthera is a global organization devoted to the conservation of big cats, and really importantly, the habitats in which they live. So hoping that through the conservation of these big cats that we can capture a huge amount of land and ecosystems across the world. And right now, uh, uh, the world is talking about um, lions. Uh, obviously, that's been the big news this week. But as the world focuses on, on lions in Africa, there are a lot of big cats right here in North America. Uh, what, what kind of animals do you study here, uh, near, pretty much around where we live? Around where we live, Panthera studies mountain lions. So slightly smaller than the African lion, well, actually a lot smaller, <laughs> the, uh, the same color. And they're a species that lives in between us like ghosts all throughout the West. Uh, and I believe there's actually a book by that title, isn't there? Is there something with ghosts yeah. in that thing? <laughs> anyway. Ghosts? Yes. Oh, that was a National Geographic article, no, Ghost Cats. Oh, there you go. There you go. We are smart people, you and I. Um, now let's let's talk about this new project Panthera has on the go, um, and then we can dive a bit into some of the other research going on. I got the email, like many many other supporters of your work, and uh, about the the Cougar Channel, which at first I almost deleted as spam, but then when I read it and saw it was from you guys, uh, it's actually a very neat project. Uh, could you tell us a bit about uh, what the, the, the idea behind the Cougar Channel was and what you're hoping to achieve with it? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I think it kind of brings us back to, to Panther as a whole in the sense that, you know, we are trying to conserve all these big cats. And what we've learned is even though these big cats share so much in common, much of the way they've used landscapes and that many of them have similar social behaviors and things like that, their challenges are so individualistic. And I think the two extremes we could compare would be tigers and mountain lions. So tigers are critically endangered. Every animal counts. If we are to maintain a wild population of tigers in the world, we need to literally save every one of them. Mm 
And so Panthera's strategy with tigers has been um, quite dramatic in the sense that uh, they believe, or we believe as Panthera, that tigers and people do not mix, that when they mix, tigers die. And so we are using actual military tactics to create a boundary to protect those last reserves of wild tigers from people. And these military operations to basically enforce that boundary so that there's no crossing of that boundary by people who might injure, poach, uh, or maim tigers. And it's working. So that's a wonderful strategy for tigers to, and everywhere Panthera is working with tigers, they're on the increase. Now mountain lions, it's like the other end of the spectrum. The conservation of mountain lions is really about um, peaceful coexistence. It's about tolerance of living with a large carnivore. There are lots of mountain lions in the Western United States. And what we're hoping to do is encourage people to live with them rather than against them. So rather than a separation as with tigers, it's really about actually sharing our backyards with mountain lions. And so when we look at how we might do that, one of the keys that came up for us was that there's a fear and a mythology that's been handed down generation to generation that perpetuates sort of the persecution of this species, whether it be high levels of legal hunting, a bounty system, as in still the case in parts of Patagonia, or retaliatory killing if they come near livestock or actually kill a pet or something like that. And this fear mythology is based on an animal that isn't real. It's about a mountain lion that people have constructed in their heads, that they're solitary killing machines, they're robots, that they're out to get us, that they're out to get our children. And how do you address that? I mean, this is a, a deep issue in our culture. And so we felt one of the best strategies would be to reintroduce mountain lions to everyday people reintroduce the real mountain lion to everyday people and thus the cougar channel as a place to showcase footage of wild mountain lions acting naturally in the wild and so that people could see mountain lions as they are they're a cryptic species hard to see for most folks and so these are actual views into the secret lives of real mountain lions and it is a uh, uh incredible to watch these clips uh again because i i mean i i've spent time watching videos of all sorts of uh, uh animals and predators but i'd say cougars are probably one of the ones uh and mountain lions that i i have seen very little of um and really the only time you're going to see them uh other than in this format is in a zoo which is not something uh we think is always a good thing um so it is definitely a a, a wonderful opportunity for people to to look and see how they behave and how they move and uh, what they're up to. And I guess I, I have to follow that up by asking what is frequently asked by those who oppose this kind of research, those who, who think we should be hunting and culling large, uh, large predators, uh, is are you concerned about the Disneyfication, as they call it, about the the uh, the over-anthropomorphism of cougars and mountain lions and other large cats, could that lead to bigger problems? Or is there some kind of a balance between the, the myth-based uh, uh, killers that you described and the, the cuddly kittens that the, the opposition uh, describes? 
Well, that's that's a great point. You know, are there dangers in in sort of overhumanizing these wild animals? And certainly, we've seen pieces of that in the arguments between those who are very pro mountain lion in a sort of an animal rights way versus those who are anti mountain lion, as you pointed out, sort of livestock owners or uh, hunters of mountain lions, and. Um, I've heard arguments based on what they assume mountain lions must be thinking or feeling because they believe that humans feel this, so they must as well. And certainly there is that line, but that's not something that we at Panthera are trying to do or through the Cougar Channel. We're really trying to show mountain lions for what they are and allow people to make up their own minds. It, it is so true that they are a timid species. It is very true that they're family oriented. It is completely true that they're individuals, that each one has a personality different than the others, that they mother differently, that they hunt differently, that they interact with other mountain lions differently, that they respond to stress differently. If those things come across in the videos, it's because we really think those things are true. Those are facts um, rather than a Disneyfication, as you put it. So I think you, you brought up a good point that there is danger in going too far. But I think that would be in the interpretation of the video rather than the video itself. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Dr. Mark Elbrock, Director of Science for Puma and Jaguar Programs at Panthera, the Global Wildcat Conservation Organization. Let's talk a little more on the science side now. This is how you and I first spoke, uh, was about the the role of cougars in uh, wolf territory, if I, I, I believe was the subject matter last year around this time. And I see that you've published another paper uh, recolonizing wolves influenced the realized niche of resident cougars. This seems to be sort of the ongoing growth of knowledge in how these predators interact. Um, why is it important for us to really be looking at 
how cougars and wolves or how bears and fox or how really any of these predators interact with each other. Why is that important? Why is that important? That's a good question. Well, let's speak specifically to here. And what we've been trying to do through these publications is tell a larger story. And each of these papers, which the journals are enforcing shorter and shorter papers, are just tiny pieces of a bigger, bigger story. And here our overarching question has been, why are there less mountain lions than there were seven, eight years ago? And there was a, a question that was on many people's minds, and everyone loves to blame wolves for many things, but they were again being pointed at as the potential cause for the decline in mountain lions. And so we've been looking at that hard. What is the influence of mountain lions, excuse me, on recolonizing wolves on mountain lions? And so that paper again picks up that thread, that question. And we looked at space use before, now we looked at diet. And we have a paper that's hopefully going to be coming out in the next few months that uh, looks on their effects, the direct effects of wolves killing kittens. Like how often does it happen? Is it really an important cause of death for mountain lions? What is the influence of wolves on adult mountain lions? And so this is a preview of what's coming, but we've seen for instance, that starvation has increased in every age class, whether it be kittens or adults, since recolonization of wolves. And that's a pattern that's been seen elsewhere as well. And so, yes, mountain lions are suffering from wolves. And here in particular, that's important because we have the additional pressures of human hunting. And I believe what we're beginning to feel is sort of the, the crux or the main product that we've sort of acquired or put together, the, the package, I guess you might call it, for the managers of mountain lions in the area, is that it is unsustainable to maintain the same hunting quotas for mountain lions while they have these additional challenges on the landscape. And so the ecosystem is in this huge flux. Wolves have flooded our system now. They're through every corner and niche in our area. And everything's changing. And now grizzly bears are pushing south and coming through. And this is changing the lives of everybody. Red foxes are booming. Coyotes are down. Mountain lions are down. And it's not just because of competition with wolves. It's because of the combination of suffering competition with wolves and suffering human hunting. And so we're just trying to tell the most complex story we can because the most, the more complex story is actually the more realistic. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here and pretend I don't know anything about ecology, and I'll admit my knowledge is limited. Uh, but in a case like this, the common argument by quote-unquote conservationists is, well, we better start hunting wolves. Um, is that a solution, and why or why not? It certainly depends on one's agenda. If... The goal is only to save mountain lions. Then, you know, the clear thing to do is to stop hunting mountain lions. That would increase their population the most rapidly. But we've even done the math and shown that you could increase mountain lions by decreasing predation on kittens. But you would have to reduce the wolf population by about 80% to gain stability in mountain lions. So again, it's all about agenda. If your goal is only to save mountain lions, then yes, hunting wolves could be a potential solution. But if your goal is healthy ecosystems, is about a natural system in which 
the animals that have been here remain here, that we coexist with them, that we learn to live with them, then hunting another large predator down is not the solution. You know, this is the, this is the way things were. There were wolves, there were grizzly bears, and there were mountain lions. And what we're probably seeing, witnessing right now is the return to a system that was more reflective of 100 years ago than 10 years ago because now we're seeing grizzlies and wolves where they, they haven't been in about 80, 90 years. It's, it's pretty remarkable that despite all we've done to the landscape of this continent, uh, that these animals are able to, to uh, return when we give them that little bit of a nudge by reintroducing wolves or by allowing grizzlies to migrate. Um, but I, I spoke with Dr. Uh, uh, Ewan Ritchie out of Australia a couple of weeks ago. You may be familiar with him. Uh, he's an ecologist uh, studying a lot of predatory animals. And he was commenting on the extraordinary difficulty that exists in trying to predict the outcome of alterations to an ecosystem due to the extraordinarily high number of variables and I believe that the, what he and I were kind of batting back and forth overall was there is no magic number when it comes to populations. There is no magic number when it comes to survival rates. Uh, is this a reality that all ecologists and biologists are dealing with now when they look at uh, their species or systems of choice? That is absolutely wonderful to bring up because that is not what we're dealing with. It's what we're struggling with all the time is that... The, you know, natural systems are so complex. We, we think we can predict what will happen if we add sheep or remove sheep or add wolves, remove wolves, if we increase hunting or whatever we do. And the truth is that we're rarely, rarely right. And that is very much the case with wolves. It's been a hot topic for, you know, 20 years since they were introduced into the yellow system ecosystem. And the Yellowstone ecosystem, and it's just amazing what's happened since then. No one predicted what would happen to that ecosystem when they threw in wolves. They just thought this is, we're returning a native species to its former range. This fits in with the national park uh, sort of mindset and the goal of national parks. And the ripples have been unbelievable. And it's incredible from prey to birds to trees to, I mean, everything's changing. And hardly any of these things could have been predicted. And it's wonderful. I mean, we're learning piles every day on what ecology really means. It's that, and when you hear the web of life, you know, it's a kind of a, an old catchphrase. It's so true that when you muck with one thing, other things happen. And we may have the best of intentions when we reintroduce a species or reduce the number of an invasive species or remove a non-native prey. I mean, all of these things are, we seem to think are wonderful ideas. And then all sorts of things happen. <laughs> and we have to sort of kind of go, oh, wow, that was uh, far more complex than we thought. <laughs> and it's amazing. I mean, ecology is amazing. The natural world continues to astound us. And I'll just leave it at that. It, it sounds suspiciously like a description of my first marriage. I, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy, but, you know, it is odd. Uh, now, to, to wrap up, I think what is interesting 
to me, when I, when I started reading about uh, uh, the more recent work you've been doing and Panthera has been doing and the new Cougar Channel concept is the melding of all of the science that yourself and your colleagues are doing, which is so important uh, to, to the con- true conservation of wildlife and habitat in our, our uh, countries and landscapes. Um, and you combine that with this these these new incredible ways of sharing information um and this this look inside the lives of these cougars will the ability to show people the individual lives the 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 personalities of these cougars help in the ability to do the scientific research necessary to protect them moving forward into the future well, it's a gamble and it's a hope, you know, that this is a sort of strategy that will actually help in their conservation. But what we've seen here, just showing video footage locally at the library to a school group, the power of visual storytelling, the power of watching a wild animal interact with its family or whatever, is, I mean, it cannot be understated. People who have never seen these species in the wild can fall in love with them. And through that new relationship, I think it just opens doors for possibilities of how to interact with this wild animal and how to live with them rather than live against them. And that is truly our hope that this, this could lead to the greater conservation of the species. To learn more about Dr. Albrock and his research, visit panthera.org. And to check out the latest from the Cougar Channel, visit cougarchannel.org. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank Dr. Elbrock for his time, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>